Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Long may she reign. Presented to you by Aidan Fitzgerald. Ooh, crispy. That was beautiful. It's my. It might be my best one yet. No, probably not. Anyway, hey guys. <laughs> Welcome back to the Long May Shireen podcast. I'm Aiden. I'm your host for this podcast. So, yes, I'm behind schedule again. Um, you know, it's it's the start of the school year. <laughs> um, I moved. Um, I've got like a million things to do. Um, I'm actually going to have to push back my next episode now because, you know, I'm supposed to be releasing bi-weekly, but because I've been missing, um, I've been releasing kind of weekly sort of now. Um, I'm trying to stop that. So the next episode that I'm going to do, which is the last episode before this season finale, I'm going to push from, um, wherever it's spot, spot was, I forget where it is on the calendar, but you guys know what I mean. I'm, I'm pushing it back, but I'm, I'm here today to record this episode and I, I hope to get it out today, but, but we'll see. Um, what's been going on in my life other than, uh, me, uh, moving and it's my last year of school. Yay. No more pain and suffering. Uh, well, at least, uh, in the school respect, I still have to, you know, go work until I die now, but I'm getting a degree. Woo. Uh, um, let's see. Oh, there's like probably a hurricane coming from Atlantic Canada. That's fun. Um, well, I was going to say I'd never been in a hurricane. That's not true. I used to live in Nova Scotia and we got lots of hurricanes when I was a kid, although I just don't remember them too well. Um, my mom always tells me that uh, I think the worst one she'd ever been through was Hurricane Juan, and I was like two or something, like two going on three. No, actually one going on two when that happened. So um, I'm not exactly prepared, but I'm like keeping an eye on that swirling fuck in the Atlantic Ocean, and um, hopefully it doesn't hit us too directly. I really would like that for not to happen because it would suck. Um, let's see what else. Oh, hopefully my Speak Now card again is going to ship soon. Uh, it's supposed to ship on the 21st of September, uh, but it's going to go to my parents' house. Um, because I didn't, I didn't think about it when I bought it that I'd be here. Um, so hopefully my parents will send it to me and I'll have a nice birthday present from myself to myself for my 22nd birthday. Also, I'm going to play like Taylor Swift's 22 all day that day. Mm. Alright, anyway, you guys aren't here to listen that. You want your episode. I know you want your episode. That's why I'm here. Uh, today we are talking about Yolanda of Aragon, Duchess of Anjou. Now you may have heard of her. You may have not. Um, I don't think I've mentioned her, uh, at least not too extensively in any of my episodes. I think the closest, um, I would have come was maybe in the Jaquetta of Luxembourg episode. 
Um, I might have mentioned Yolanda because Yolanda, sorry, Yolanda, not Yolanda. Yolanda is the grandmother of Jaquetta's bestie, Margaret of Anjou, who we'll, you know, talk about at the end of the episode. Yolanda is a very, very interesting woman. She, I don't think she gets enough credit for how much she contributed to the Hundred Years' War. I mean, she is one of the reasons that Charles VII became Charles VII of France. I mean, he would have hardly gotten anywhere uh, without her also Joan of Arc, of course. We're going to talk about that. But Yolande is interesting because she was born as an Aragonese princess, probably not expecting to become queen of anything, really. I mean, she could have become, you know, queen consort of somewhere. But she sort of unofficially became a queen of four nations, which is pretty sick. Um, I hope you guys are excited to hear about her. Let's get into it. Okay, kids. Yolande of Aragon, Duchess of Anjou, was born on August 11th, 1384, as the second surviving child of King John I of Aragon and his second wife, Violante of Bar. Now, of course, with her being born on August 11th, that makes her a Leo. We have had quite a few Leos on this show, most notably Elizabeth Bathory, the possible mass murderer, and Eliza Schuyler, a.k.a. Alexander Hamilton's wife. Also my favorite Schuyler sister. So Yolanda is definitely an interesting company amongst Leos. Leos are fire signs, so they are really passionate and strong-willed people. Natural leaders, not to mention uh, the noble thing with them being, you know, represented by the lion and such, or basically the Gryffindors. Of the astrology world. Um, overall, I think this really describes Yolande. I mean, Gurley was a powerhouse, forced to be reckoned with, but I think she got a lot of her traits from her parents. Like, when you look at the character of either one of her parents, you're like, mm-hmm, that's definitely their daughter. Uh, mostly her mom, who was a great example uh, to Yolande of what a powerful medieval woman ought to be, despite the limitations uh, medieval society has for them. So, speaking of which, let's talk about her parents. Uh, let's start off by talking about Yolande's dad, King John of Aragon, who was born as the eldest son of King Peter IV of Aragon and his third wife, Princess Eleanor of Sicily. Uh, to say John's life was rocky as a kid would be an understatement. Uh, poor John not only had poor health his entire life, his dad was a pretty domineering force in his life and uh, forced him to marry his first wife, uh, Martha of Armagnac, who had a fat dowry, and her dad was a huge help in keeping the kingdom of Castile at bay. It's pretty much the only reason they end up getting married. Um, although she was of uh, French nobility, um, John's dad, Peter, hated France. Like, he really, really, really hated France. Uh, but luckily, Martha was a very agreeable lady, so her and John got along perfectly fine, which is great. You always want that to happen. Uh, John and Martha uh, were only able to produce one child that lived to adulthood named Joanna. Um, after Martha died, I forget of what, probably like something to do with birth. Who know? Who knows? Or maybe she was sickly too. I didn't write it down. Uh, John's dad, Peter, wanted him to marry a Sicilian princess like John's mom. It was to like tie up like a whole Sicilian succession crisis. I think, um, Peter was hoping that maybe, um, sorry, Aragon could, like, become rulers of Sicily. 
Uh, but John wasn't really interested in marrying a Sicilian princess. Uh, John was a Francophile at heart, probably because of his first wife. Um, he loved everything about French culture, um, as opposed to his dad being a big Anglophile who hated almost everything French. Um, so John decided that he was going to pick his next wife behind his dad's back, and he chose Yolande's mom, Violante of Bar. Now, Violante had been born as the eighth of 11 children of Robert, the Duke of Bar, and Princess Marie of Valois, the daughter of King John II of France, um, and I believe Bonne of Luxembourg. I can't remember King John II's wife's name. But I think I have her on, like, my list of, like, people to, to cover on my show. Anyway, um, if John's if John's dad hadn't hated France so much, he probably would have realized what a good match Violante was for his son. Uh, not only was she the granddaughter of a French king, but despite being only uh, 15 to John's nearly 30, uh, Violante was whip-smart, a great consort and partner to John, uh, both before he was king and after he was king. Now, John and Violante got on very well, as they were both incredibly cultured. They liked the same music, literature, uh, of course, mainly in the French style, with Violante being French herself. Uh, Violante and John also patronized several poets, as well as bringing French troubadours, who were like these like medieval poets who did like poetry to music. I like to think of them like medieval rappers, like... If that makes sense to anyone, I just, I know, it's probably not, like, comparable, but I just, I just really like to imagine fucking troubadours with, like, their horns and shit, and just, like, you know, rapping. <laughs> anyway, uh, Violante made sure to fully incorporate all aspects of her home culture with uh, other aspects of her new country's culture, so Yolande would have grown up not only with a very strong female influence in her life thanks to her mom, but also she would have been steeped in the beautiful cultures of both her uh, parents. Now, in terms of Yolande's education, it was fantastic for the time, thanks to her mom's connection to the French court. Yolande was mainly tutored by her mother, who spent time in the French court as a child with her royal cousins. So she taught Yolande everything she learned there, like dancing, music, embroidery, and all the other typical things that young women were taught in order to make good wives and consorts. Not to mention, Yolande spoke beautiful, flawless French. Can't relate. Well, I mean, I used to be able to speak good French. Not anymore. <laughs> uh... However, Yolande's literary education is definitely the most impressive part of her schooling. Thanks to her parents' interest in the arts, Yolande would have read various classical texts that her mother had ordered translated into French and Spanish, and works uh, by writers from both her mother's homeland and her father's homeland. However, my favorite part of her education is that Yolande's mom was very interested in making sure that Yolande remembered her power as a woman and what she could do with that power. Now, in letters written by Yolande as an adult to her mother, she mentions that her mom read The Crow by Giovanni Bosciaccio. Bosciaccio? He's, he's Italian. I can't pronounce that. Anyway, to her as a child, to show her how society treated and actually felt about women, and, you know, how everything seems to be women's fault in a lot of literature. Um, Yolande would have grown up watching her mom uh, change this literary tradition of blame on women, where uh, Yolande would ask her favorite writers to write books in defense of women against these type of texts. And I'm sure Yolande would have, you know, seen that, seen what her mother was doing, and taken that to heart at an early age. I feel like I would. I can't see why Yolande wouldn't. Um, as for Yolande's looks, we really don't have specifics on what she looked like, other than that she was pretty and seemed to be quite the medieval catch. That's really all we have to go on, other than some, uh, small drawings we have of her in illuminated, illuminated <laughs> manuscripts, which don't give you much to go on. 
um you know like all medieval women and like these like weird depictions of them she liked big hats <laughs> now <laughs> i know this isn't historical but i thought it was kind of funny when i was looking through articles to find anything about her looks um i found out yolande was character in an assassin's creed book called um, assassin's creed heresy where she plays a, a really big role in that story and uh there's a depiction of her in that book which uh, paints her as uh, a person who has dark blonde hair green gray eyes uh, honestly i don't care if it's historical <laughs> it's not what we're here to do on this show um i just can't get that general image of her out of my head of her having like dark blonde hair and green gray eyes after seeing um well reading that assassin's creed book so we're we're gonna operate in the assumption that she is a dark blonde with green gray eyes i don't care if it's wrong i like it if it's the image i have of her in my head good cool okay so like most princesses in europe yolande's marriage was a big topic of conversation from almost the second she was born and only became more important when it was realized that yolande and her sister joanna were probably going to be their dad's only heirs as i mentioned yolande's dad john had been married twice in his life in his first marriage he had five kids but only his daughter joanna lived to adulthood then when he married yolande's mom they had seven kids but only two made it even close to adulthood and that was yolande of course and then uh older brother she had named james who unfortunately died at six years old when yolande was four and without an heir the marriages of the king's only children were a big deal because either one of them was going to succeed to the throne or at the very least one of their husbands would <laughs> Uh, when Yolande was five, her father started marriage negotiations with several possible French matches, like when Marie, the Duchess of Anjou, offered her son Louis as a possible husband. Um, actually, at one point, King Richard II of England offered his hand to Yolande, which uh, they might have accepted had the French not completely blocked the marriage, and Charles VI of France married his daughter Isabel to Richard, which is kind of creepy because Isabel was like 10, uh, and Richard was an adult man. Um, a few years later, Yolande's dad died, um, and his little brother Martin was made king of Aragon, and this, like, whole long succession crisis happened where, like, Yolande's sister Joanna, who was, like, like an older teenager at this time, and her husband tried to claim the throne. Uh, it didn't go well, Martin won. Um, we don't have time to get into that succession crisis. But the point is, Uncle Martin is in charge of Yolande's marriage prospects now, and with a little convincing from the Duchess of Anjou, Yolande was engaged to uh, Louis. Now, Yolande was not happy about this. Um, the Duchy of Anjou and the Kingdom of Aragon had a pretty big rivalry. Um, actually, little Yolande signed a protest against the marriage when she was 13 years old after she'd been engaged to Louis. However, uh, she was later forced to retract the protest when the marriage was forced to hit. Because, you know, what can you do? Uh, next thing you know, Yolande was engaged to not only a duke, she was now a queen in waiting. Ooh, what could happen next? I don't know. Actually, yes, I do, but you don't know. Haha. -ha. Now, while Yolande had initially been hesitant to marry Louis in the first place, her mind was changed very quickly when she actually met him and married him. Yolande and Louis were married in the French city of Arles on December 2nd, 1400, which made Yolande Duchess of Anjou. But additionally, she was also technically Queen of Naples, Sicily, and Jerusalem, and she would later claim her father's crown, but we'll talk about that. First, let's get to know Yolande's new husband, Louis, and why her queenship is really only a technicality. 
Now, Louis was born as the son of Louis the First of Anjou and Marie of Blois. Blois. <laughs> I'm sorry, French people. I'm so sorry. I suck. <laughs> Anyway, Louis succeeding to any of his titles was a roller coaster. It was not easy. I mean, he really only had it easy becoming the Duke of Anjou. Now, Louis initially came into his title as the Duke of Anjou when he was like seven years old because his dad died in a military campaign. And then when Louis was a teenager, Queen Joanna of Naples adopted him as her heir because she needed French support against her relative who was trying to take the throne from her. So he was technically in line for a throne, but that was only in theory. Uh, we don't have time to get into, you know, that whole thing with him and Joanna. Uh, but at this time, there's like... Okay, so... There's a problem in the church at this time, where there was a... There's the regular pope in Rome, right? And then there was an anti-pope. And the anti-pope was supporting uh, Louis for King of Naples and Sicily. And the regular pope was supporting the other guy who was trying to take Joanna's throne away from her. So, because the Pope who was supporting Louis wasn't the, like, official Pope, it was a lot harder to claim that he was King of Naples and Sicily and Jerusalem. Basically, Louis spent his entire life trying to properly rule the kingdom he supposedly inherited when Queen Joanna died. I mean, he was fighting this guy forever. He never got complete control of Naples, Sicily, or even Jerusalem, which he claimed he was King of according to Joanna's adoption of him. Now, the whole point of Louis marrying Yolande was so that he could, ha uh, like, up these claims to the Three Thrones because Yolande's grandma was a Sicilian princess. Now, despite uh, their family's rivalry and the fact that this was a political match, Yolande and Louis genuinely fell in love. Both of them were incredibly smart, politically savvy. Not to mention, um, Louis was French, Yolande was half French, but she had been raised as a Francophile. She loved everything French, and Louis was French, and loved everything French, so it was cool. It was all cool with them, you know? Um, they loved everything from the art, the food, everything we oui, oui, were French. They loved together. Great thing for them to um, get along about. Now, Yolande and Louis did not have kids right away, probably because uh, Yolande was, you know, a younger teenager when they first got married. I think she was like 14, 15. Um, well, Louis was in his early 20s, which is a little, eh. I mean, that'd be a gross age gap. Today. I mean, it's still a gross age gap, but at least, like, they didn't marry her to, like, some 40-year-old man. Anyway, um... Maybe Louis also wanted to wait until she was older for them to start having kids, or maybe they just had, like, problems getting pregnant, and then, you know, bam, it happened. Or maybe Louis was gone too often fighting for, you know, his theoretical three thrones <laughs> that he owned. Uh, owned. I'm using big quotation marks that you guys can't see. Um, whatever the case, Yolanda and Louis welcomed their first child, a boy uh, named Louis, uh, in 1403. Uh, three years after they got married. Then the following year, they had a girl named Marie. Then five years later, they had a son named René. Then three years after René, they had another girl who Yolande named after herself because iconic. Um, and last but certainly not the least child. In 1414, they had their uh, final uh, child and son, Charles, who actually shared a birthday with his older sister, Marie. They were exactly 10 years apart in age. They were born on the same day. That's so cool. Actually, <laughs> I probably wouldn't like sharing a 
a birthday with my oldest sister if I had an oldest sister. I'm the oldest in my family, so I wouldn't know if me and my brother shared a birthday. It was going to kind of suck. Anyway, um, in addition to being a very involved mother, Yolande was busy ruling her husband's lands for him as he had to go to Italy basically for five minutes to try and keep his Naples, Sicily, and Jerusalem crowns. So Yolande was named regent in his absence quite often, and she ran shit. When Louis left Anjou to try and establish his rule in Naples in 1410, Yolande remained in their capital of Angers. I think that's how you pronounce it. It looks like it says Angers. Uh, she was named Lieutenant General for the Duke, meaning that her orders were as good as his were. And trust me, she dealt with some ridiculous crap while Louis was gone. Um, rebels in the county of Provence tried to take advantage of Louis being gone and tried to overthrow Yolande with an insurrection, but she got an army together, quashed a rebellion, and all was well when Louis came home uh i'm sure like in louis mind he was like that's my wife because you're the best fucking wife in the world like i love it in like medieval times like this reminds me of when like henry VIII went to france to you know go and prove that he was better than francis the first france um and then scotland invaded and catherine of aragon uh helped raise an army and uh her army fucking crushed the Scots and killed their king. It's the same thing. I love it. Now, in addition to Louis fighting for uh, his three unstable and technical crowns, Yolanda ended up having a fourth crown to add uh, when in 1410 her uncle Martin died childless. Now, the kingdom of Aragon entered what was called an interregnum, which means the time between kings. Now, for two years, there was a succession crisis where the nobles of Aragon were not sure who should be the next monarch of Aragon. Overall, there were two main factions in the succession crisis, the first being Yolande and her son Louis' claim, which actually wasn't really super valid. Like, she didn't have the best claim. Uh, because, fun fact, Yolande's older half-sister, you remember her, Joanna? Uh, who had tried to take the throne from her uncle Martin previously? Uh, Joanna was still alive? Uh, but she had no interest in, like, pressing her claim again, mostly because, like, I think, uh, her only child, her son, was dead. So, Yolanda had, like, nothing to worry about from Joanna, but, like, she was technically overstepping the line of succession because her older sister was still alive. Um, now, the big problem here, Yolanda's rival claim, came from one of Yolanda's first cousins, Ferdinand, who was the second son of her aunt Eleanor and a prince of the neighboring Spanish kingdom of Castile. Uh, Yolande definitely put up a good campaign for either herself to become queen or her sons to become kings of Aragon, but unfortunately, <laughs> Yolande just keeps on losing crowns left and right. Um, it was up to the Aragonese parliament to vote on whose claim was better, and they chose Ferdinand. Boo! Boo, Ferdinand! <laughs> Fucking hate you, Ferdinand! Um, even though Yolande lost the succession game, she, much like her husband, still decided that she had the right to use the title of queen, even if she wasn't actually in charge. And this is where Yolande gets her famous nickname, the Queen of Four Kingdoms. Unfortunately, she never uh, properly ruled any of these kingdoms. Fucking Aragon, Naples, Sicily, Jerusalem, all technically hers, but not really. Uh, but I'm sure she had, she had the opportunity to be an actual ruling queen. She probably would have been a really good solo queen of Aragon, but unfortunately that was not to be because... Sexism, the Aragonese parliament, fucking sucks. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. So, the Hundred Years' War. 
Um, I actually love the title to this section that I put. Uh, I named it the 100 Years War brackets. It was actually 112 years, which is true. But the 112 Years War doesn't sound as cool as the 100 Years War, does it? Anyway, the 100 Years War. This time in French history is just so much fun to me. <laughs> because, okay, so the 100 Years War was basically the English and the French fighting over who should be king of France. And at this time, the French were doing pretty good for themselves. They weren't losing until they were. Now, the first big thing to tip the war out of France's favor initially was the rapid destabilization of the French monarchy, which I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail one day, but this is not the episode to do it. But here are the cliff notes for it. Now, King Charles VI of France went fucking bonkers. He had, you know, fucking issues. Uh, we, we mentioned that once when we were talking about uh, Charles's daughter, Catherine of Valois. Anyway, Charles goes, and his wife, Queen Isabeau, has to make all the decisions for him and rule France in his stead. And some people were not happy about a woman making all these decisions. Now, at this time, two factions crop up in the French court to control the French throne. The first being the Burgundians, led by uh, John the Duke of Burgundy, uh, and backed by the English. And then the other was the Armagnac party, headed by Queen Isabeau. Now, we all know at this point, Yolande was a bona fide French fry. Um, even though she was Spanish, she was incredibly dedicated to keeping France French, not English. And when the Burgundian faction became backed by the English, she threw herself and her family full force behind the Armin Armagnac party. She actually broke her son's engagement to the Duke of Burgundy's daughter and engaged her eldest daughter, Marie, to one of Queen Isabeau's younger sons, Charles, to show her support for Queen Isabeau. Now, after the engagement, little Prince Charles was sent to live with Yolande until she, uh, until, uh, Marie and Charles could be married, and Yolande became sort of like a foster mom to Charles, which is really, really sweet. Now, Charles's mom, Isabeau, gets a pretty bad rep. We'll talk about her one day. I, I don't think she deserves it overall. Um, but if I'm being honest, Isabeau wasn't the best mom to little Charles, even if the kid did end up being a dick later, which he was. Um, he definitely didn't deserve how his mom treated him. I mean, this this bad treatment compared to the good treatment he received from Yolande made him incredibly loyal to Yolande when the unthinkable happened. Now, Charles was a younger son. He was never expected to inherit the throne. I believe he had maybe like two, two or three older brothers in front of him. Uh, but then suddenly, several of his older brothers started dropping dead. And around this time, Henry V of England invaded France and basically forced Isabeau to do damage control after he won the battle of Agincourt. Um, Isabeau had to ally herself with Henry to save what was left of her family after her two oldest sons died. And she didn't want Charles to be king. <laughs> Now, Yolande did not like it when Isabeau went over to the English. She felt like Isabeau was betraying her country. So when Isabeau asked Yolande to please return her son to Paris, uh, Yolande said, and I quote, and we, we believe she actually said this. All right, <clears throat> let me get my best uh, quoting voice. We have not nurtured and cherished this one for you to make him die like his brothers or go mad like his father or become English like you. I keep him for my own. Come and take him away if you dare. Dun, dun, dun. Which basically means fuck you. I'm not giving him back. Um, Isabeau not only knew that Charles was a valuable pawn 
in her war for Francis Verisol, but I also think she did, oh, sorry, I mean Yolande. <gasps> Yolande not only knew that Charles was a valuable pawn in her war for Francis Verisol, but I also think she did genuinely care, like, about his, his well-being. And wanted to make sure he got the inheritance he was entitled to as a future king. Like, Isabeau probably had no intention of making Charles king, mostly because she couldn't. Like, once she, you know, got into bed with Henry, he wanted to be king of France. And he wanted his children to be kings of France as well. They weren't going to let Charles... They probably would have killed him, honestly. Um, unfortunately for little Charles, he was actually probably like more like a teenager at this point, um, it didn't go well for him at first when he tried to get his throne back. Um, Duke Philip the Good of Burgundy and King Henry V forced the Treaty of uh, Torres. Torres on the French, which made Henry the regent of France and heir to uh, King Charles VI when he died, which completely disinherited Prince Charles. And not only was this going on, but Yolande lost her husband in 1417, and she was dealing with the establishment of her son as the Duke of Anjou, so I'm sure that must have been like a really stressful time to have to you know, take care of her bio son, make sure he's all good as the Duke of Anjou, and then having to you know, fight for your adopted son's inheritance. Now, not too long after this treaty, both King Charles VI of France and Henry V died. So, little Prince Charles was now uh, legally, at the very least, or traditionally, king at 19 years old. But the Burgundian faction chose to support the uh, claim of Henry V's son, Henry VI of England, who was the son of Charles' sister, Catherine of Valois, who I've done an episode on before. Go check that out. Anyway, Yolande was heavily involved in Charles' campaign to officially become King of France. Yolande surrounded Charles with her best advisors um, and was also the person who gave him all the support in the world. I mean, she was his biggest ally, but also it's really important to note that she was the first person to give support to Joan of Arc as Yolande legitimately believed that she could help Charles. Now, as many of you probably know, Joan was a very, very big help to the French in the Hundred Years' War and was basically the reason Charles won the war at all. But it's also important to know that Yolande set up Joan for success in every possible way because she saw Joan's potential. Charles ended up officially becoming crowned as Charles VII thanks to Yolande and Joan. There's like a whole bunch of wars that I'm just like not going to go into because you, you guys don't care. The point is Charles, he gets on the throne. He gets exactly what he wants thanks to Yolande and Joan. And Yolande's daughter gets to become queen of France and mother to the next king. Yay, Marie! Now, Yolande stayed active in politics during her son-in-law's reign, and she negotiated a, a peace treaty with the Duke of Brittany in 1431 on behalf of her uh, son-in-law and her daughter, and intervened in the civil war between two of Charles' advisors presiding over the peace settlement. Now, by 1435, Yolande had retired from politics. She was getting old. She was over it. But she was still fairly active in the lives of her children and grandchildren, and at least two of her grandkids had a lot to say about her. Her grandson, uh, Louis X, said of his grandmother that she had a man's heart in a woman's body, which I think is very complimentary. Um, by 1439, her granddaughter, Margaret of Anjou, had started living with her, and Yolande took charge of her granddaughter's education. Yolande taught her not only etiquette and literature, but also how to check account books, which is a skill you don't often hear about women learning. Like, you think, you know, medieval times, women don't need to learn math. Uh, but when you're running a household, like, a lot of these ladies are, like, personally, even you, if you have accountants to help you, it's good to know how to balance a checkbook and 
Yolande made sure that her granddaughter knew how to do that. How sadly, Yolande died peacefully at her townhouse in Somer on the 14th of November, 1442. She was 58 years old. Now, before we talk about Yolande's legacy, let me tell you a bit about Yolande's children. Her oldest son, Louis, spent most of his time fighting for his father's Italian lands and was also promised the Sicilian throne uh, by another queen, but he ended up dying childless relatively young. Uh, Yolande's daughter Marie, of course, became Queen of France and was the mother of its next king, but she also served as regent several times in her husband's absence and was a pretty good queen and was very, very well loved. And we will we'll talk about Marie one day. I think I'm pretty sure I want her to have her own episode. And, you know, also one day we'll talk about uh, the mistress <laughs> in uh, Marie's life. Uh, by her life, I mean her husband's life, but, you know, basically the same lives. Anyway, um, Yolande's son, Rene actually succeeded in becoming uh, the King of Naples. He did what his father couldn't. Um, he also became the Duke of Anjou after his brother died and is well remembered for being a patron of the arts and for being the father of Margaret of Anjou, Queen of England, who learned everything she needed to know from her kick-ass grandmother. Um, Yolande's daughter, Yolande Jr., married into the Duchy of Brittany, and then her youngest son, Charles, became the Count of Maine and served as an advisor to his brother-in-law. Uh, later, his son would succeed Rene as Duke of Anjou, because I'm pretty sure either Rene also didn't have any children, or, um, like, one of his sons died or something. Anyway, now getting into legacy. Um, it's crazy to me that Yolande doesn't come up more when discussing big players in the Hundred Years War. I mean, literally the only reason I found out about her uh, was by, you know, reading about her granddaughter, Margaret of Anjou. She's, like, mentioned a lot in Margaret of Anjou's childhood. I would never have known she existed without that, which seems really sad because she's so cool. Um, without her support of her son-in-law, the Hundred Years War might have ended very differently for the French. Um, in fact, the English king's could have ruled instead if Yolande didn't really and truly believe in Joan of Arc when she came forward and changed the course of the war. And I'm sure she was, like, probably really upset when they ended up executing her. Maybe she wasn't. I don't know. I didn't really get to look too heavily into it because I couldn't find anything on it. Um, I hope in the future more attention is dedicated to her role in turning the war in, the f in France's favor because she really did do so much. She provided Charles with advisors. She got everyone on board with Joan of Arc initially. Like, that's that's not nothing. That is crazy. Thank you guys so much for joining me in this episode. I will see you guys in two weeks with a brand new episode. Second last one before the season finale. Woo! Goodbye, guys. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMayShereign2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.